things, Sally. Sorry if I startled you. She probed her memory. Have we met before? He shook his head teasingly. No. Well, who are you? I'm here to bring you a message. Your prayers have been heard, Sally. Your answer is on his way. Be looking for him. She looked away for only a moment, just a slight eye-rolling gesture of consternation. Be looking for who? He was gone. She walked around the cottonwood, looked up and down the road and across every field, and even looked straight up the trunk of the tree. He was gone, just like that, as if he'd never been there. At Our Lady of the Fields Church in Antioch, Arnold Kowalski was busy dust-mopping the quaint little sanctuary, moving a little slowly, but doing a thorough job. He'd been a devout member of Our Lady of the Fields for some forty years now. He never missed Sunday morning Mass if he could help it. He never failed to make it to confession, though now at seventy-two the confessions were getting shorter and the penances easier. He liked to think that God was happy with him. He considered himself happy enough with God. Except for one thing, one minor grief he had to carry as he moved slowly down the center aisle, pushing his dust mop. He couldn't help wishing that God would pay just a little attention to his arthritis. It used to flare up occasionally. Now it was only on occasion that it didn't. Here I am, serving God, but God keeps letting it hurt. His hands throbbed, his feet ached. His knuckles cried out no matter which way he gripped them up. He was never one to complain, but today he almost felt like crying. Maybe I'm not serving God enough, he thought. Maybe I need to work longer. He pushed a little more dust and dirt down the center aisle until he stepped into a beam of sunlight coming through a stained glass window. From this spot, he could look up at the carved wooden crucifix hanging above the altar. He caught the gaze of the crucified Christ. I don't want to complain, he said. Already he felt he was overstepping his bounds. But what harm would it do? What difference would it make to this big, wide world if one little man didn't have so much pain? Ashamed, he looked away from those gazing wooden eyes. But the eyes drew him back. And for a strange, illusory moment, they seemed alive. Sunlight from another window brought out a tiny sparkle in the corner of the eyes, and Arnold had to smile. He could almost imagine those eyes were alive and wet with tears. A tear rose over the edge of the eyelid and dropped onto the wooden cheek, tracing a thin wet trail down the face and into the beard. Arnold stared, frozen, his mind stuck between seeing and believing. He felt no sense of awe, no overshadowing spiritual presence. He heard no angelic choir singing in the background. All he knew was that he was watching a wooden image shed tears as he stood there dumbly. Then his first coherent thought finally came to him. I have to get up there. He hurried as fast as the pain in his feet would allow him and brought a ladder from the storeroom in the back. Pausing before the altar to bless himself, he stepped around the altar and carefully leaned the ladder against the wall. Every climbing step brought a sharp complaint from his feet, but he gritted his teeth, grimaced, and willed himself up the ladder until he came eye to eye, level to level, with the carved face. His eyes had not been playing tricks on him. The face was wet. He looked above to see if there was a leak in the ceiling, but saw no sign of a stain or drip. He leaned close to study the image for any sign of a device or some kind of trickery. Nothing. He reached, then hesitated from the very first tinge of fear. Just what was he about to touch? Oh, dear God, don't hurt me. He reached again, shakily extending his hand, until his fingertips brushed across the wet trail of the tears. He felt a tingling like electricity, and jerked his hand away with a start. It wasn't painful, but it scared him, and his hand began to quiver. Electric sensations shot up his arm like countless little bees swarming in his veins. 
He let out a quiet little yelp, then gasped, then yelped again as the sensation flowed across his shoulders, around his neck, down his spine. He grabbed the ladder and held it tightly, afraid he would topple off. A strong grip, a grip without pain. He stared at his hand. The vibration buzzed and swirled under his skin, through his knuckles, across his palms, through his wrists. He lightened his grip, tightened it again, held on with one hand while he opened and closed the other, wiggling and flexing the fingers. The pain was gone. His hands were strong. The current rushed down his legs, making his nerves tingle and his muscles twitch. He hugged the ladder, his hands glued to the rungs, a cry bouncing off the wall only inches from his nose. He was shaking, afraid he would fall. He cried out, gasped, trembled, cried out again. The electricity enveloped his feet, and his scream echoed through the building. Sunday, Pastor Kyle Sherman prayed the prayer of benediction. The pianist and organist began playing. The postlude and the congregation of the Antioch Pentecostal Mission rose to leave. Folks gathered up their coats, Bibles, Sunday school papers, and children, and formed slow-moving clusters in the aisles and doorways to joke and chat. Dee Baylor was among the departing saints that day, her steady and constant presence at Antioch Mission. She was a robust, heavy-set woman in the forties, with a prominent nose and hair that added measurably to her height. Short, mousy Blanche Davis and tightly permed, blue-rinsed Adrian Folsom were walking with her across the gravel parking lot as the three worked excitedly to keep the Christian grapevine alive. So what about the crucifix at the Catholic Church? Blanche wondered. You can't limit God, Dee answered. No, you can't limit God, Adrian agreed with extra insistence in her voice. But a weeping statue, Blanche asked, making a crinkled face. That sounds awfully Catholic to me. We need to be seeking the Lord said Dee, her eyes closing prayerfully. We need to be expecting. I think the Lord is ready to pour out his spirit on this town. Dee looked up at the sky as if looking toward heaven. Patches of blue were beginning to show, promising a pleasant afternoon. Adrian and Blanche continued the conversation until they noticed they were by themselves. Dee? She was standing still, clutching her Bible to her bosom and looking heavenward, her lips moving rapidly as she whispered in another language. Day, they hurried to her side. What is it? All she could do was point, then gasp, her hand over her mouth. Adrian and Blanche looked quickly, afraid something might fall on them. They saw nothing but billowing clouds and patches of blue sky. I see Jesus, Dee said in a hushed voice. Then, raising one hand toward the sky, she shouted ecstatically, Jesus, I see you, I see you. I see the Lord, Dee gasped. Agent and Blanche kept staring at the clouds, hoping to spot something, making quick sideways glances at each other for clues. What do you see? Adrian finally asked. Dee pointed. Don't you see him? Right there. He's looking right at us. Adrian and Blanche looked carefully, following the point of Dee's finger. Finally, Blanche drew in a slow, awestruck gasp. Yes. Yes. I see him. I see him. Where? Adrian cried. I don't see him. Isn't that incredible? Adrian put her head right next to Blanche's, hoping to gain the same perspective. Show me. Blanche pointed. See? There's the top of his head, and there's his ear and his beard. Adrian let out a crow-like squawk. She usually saved for funny jokes and deep revelations. Oh! You're right! You're right! Now all three women were pointing and looking while Dee kept singing in and out of English. Others came alongside to see what the commotion was all about. Some saw it, others didn't. 
Tony and Penny Forrester saw Jesus, but also saw several different animals on top of his head. Look, said Adrian, he's holding a dove in his hand. Do you see that? He's ready to pour out his spirit, Dee announced with a prophetic waver in her voice. He's speaking to us in these last days. It just kept going from there, Kyle Sherman told me. The three women started seeing all kinds of things because the clouds kept changing. Kyle hadn't used any names up to this point, so I asked him, Are we talking about Dee Baylor? He nodded, looking abashed. Adrian Folsom and Blanche Davis? Kyle nodded again, a reluctant yes. Makes sense, I said, picking up my coffee cup and taking another swallow. Kyle Sherman and I were sitting at my kitchen table with coffee cups and a bag of Oreo cookies between us. He was still in his twenties, dark-haired, wiry, a fresh horse ready to gallop. For the past four months, he'd been at this table in this little house several times, keeping in touch and trying to be a good shepherd, and hoping to keep some strays from straying further, I surmised. The minister and me understood what he was doing and admitted that if I were in Kyle's place, I would have done the same. Dee seems like she's... Kyle was either struggling for words or waiting for me to fill in the blanks. I filled in the blanks. Dee is a follower with followers. Meg Fordyce has a little prayer and praise meeting at her house once a week, and Dee gets out there pretty often. Just put it together from there. I could see the light bulb coming on, but Kyle apparently wasn't comfortable with my drift. I'm not sure I follow you. Kyle, it's simple. Meg told Dee about Sally seeing an angel. That means someone else is getting a special visitation from God that Dee isn't getting. You don't get something from God without Dee getting it, too. She won't allow it. Kyle actually looked disappointed. So what about Sally? You think she made the whole thing up? I don't believe her. It sounds too much like the vanishing hitchhiker, Kyle laughed. You've heard about that old rumor, right? Oh, yeah. Paused. So Dee's copycatting? No, with Dee, you get it back with interest. Sally saw an angel, Dee's seeing Jesus. But Kyle shook his head, still unsettled. They're excited, Travis, and not just Dee and Adrian and Blanche, but the Whites, the Foresters, the Andersons. Excited about what? Jesus in the sky with a rooster on his head? Pammy thought it was a rooster. Hey, you asked me. I set my coffee cup down on the table, like a judge closing a case with a gavel. So what about Arnold Kowalski? Well, maybe Arnold Kowalski is the Catholic version of D. Baylor. I could tell from Kyle's tone that he was getting impatient with me. No, now come on, Travis. Kowalski went to Dr. Trenner down in Davenport, and he took x-rays and the whole thing. He says the arthritis is gone. Well, what do you want me to say, Kyle? He sighed. Just say what you think. I've already said what I think. He stared at his empty coffee cup, dragging it by the handle, and little zigzags around the table. But you don't suppose God could surprise us once in a while? You know, do something we weren't expecting? I leaned forward. Kyle, what these people experienced, they expected. Trust me. I leaned back, sipped my coffee, and tried to come up with some closing comment. If you want my advice, I say, don't sweat it. This kind of thing comes and goes, and the wrinkles wash out eventually. I just need to take a position on all this. The very thought of someone else having to take a position gave me a dark little pleasure. Yeah, yeah, you're the one who has to remain stable, aren't you? Well, it won't hurt to let the jury stay out a while. The ministerial is going to meet tomorrow morning to talk about all this. 
I think Nancy Barron's is going to be there. Great, I said. Newspaper coverage. That'll put the fire out. Hal raised an eyebrow at me. Hey, Travis, the whole town's buzzing about this. There's a lot going on out there, and you're missing it. I smiled. That made two pleasurable thoughts in a row. Kyle was still talking. Why don't you come with me? I haven't gotten to know all the ministers yet. You can introduce me. Sit in and listen. Have some input. It was not the first time Kyle had tried to get me moving in the old church circles again. I gave a little disarming chuckle and wagged my head. It'll be at the Catholic Church. We'll all get a chance to look at that weeping crucifix. I made a face. Get real. Hey, you can bicker about hearsay, or you can go straight to the source and see it for yourself. And sit down with all those ministers again? Not this year, thank you. Kyle looked at me for a moment, and I knew I wouldn't like his next question. Do they have something to do with it? To do with what? With you resigning your pulpit, sitting here in this little house all by yourself. Kyle had no fear of thin ice. It's your life, I know that. Kyle said gently, I just care about you, that's all. We'd had this same conversation before, and it got us nowhere. Thanks for the invitation, I said finally. Not this time. Maybe later, when I've got something better to say for myself. Give me a call if you change your mind. With that, he rose, patted me on the back, and headed for the front door. Oh, I will, I promised almost jokingly. I made my way to the bathroom and looked in the bathroom mirror. A gray, weathered, whiskered, 45-year-old former... what? Anything I'd ever been, I wasn't anymore. I left the bathroom and looked out the bedroom window, expecting to see the same winter-brown hill that rose just west of my place, with a tight grove of wind-battered cottonwoods at its crest. There was somebody out there. I stopped. I'd never seen anyone on that hill before. I wasn't even sure who owned that land. But there was a man standing by the cottonwoods, resting an arm against one of the old trunks. He was facing my direction. Was he looking at me? I went closer to the window and shifted my head back and forth, squinting a bit. I could feel my brow furrowing, and he responded with a slight smile and a nod. There was something about those eyes that held me. From here, I guess they were deep brown. They seemed to say without words, I know you. Who was this guy? His hair was long and black parted down the middle, curling down to his shoulders. He had a beard. I looked away, catching myself, corralling my runaway thoughts. Uh-uh. No, no, Travis. Don't think that. He was wearing a white robe, wasn't he? I looked again, and yes, he was. A white robe tied in the middle, open at the neck with long sleeves that hung loosely from his arms. I couldn't see his feet because of the tall.